Grapple fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Meltzer Five Star Project, an ongoing course within the overall syllabus that is Let Me Tell You Something, the pro wrestling educational tool that is hosted by your Dean Lorcan Mullen and your teacher's assistant. <laughs> oh, okay then. Hi, it's Simon Cross. <laughs> and we take every match that Dave Meltzer's rated five stars or higher, as is the case this time, and discuss it and decide what we ourselves think of the match as well. Simon, my little underling, what are we, t- <laughs> what are we covering today? Assistant to the co-manager. Well, he, I'm manager and he's co-manager. We are covering the New Japan Cup final between the dragon Shingo Takagi and... Will Ospreay. The Commonwealth Kingpin, is that his name now? It used to be the Aerial Assassin. That's his nickname, yeah, for himself. Yeah. Uh, obviously head of the United Empire faction. Yes, indeed. And not the first time that a tournament final between Will Ospreay and Shingo Takagi has got the five-star or higher treatments. I can't remember what it got in 2019, but I'm pretty sure it was above five stars and it was also voted the... Match of the year for 2019, which was a bumper year for five-star matches as well. So, obviously, this has big shoes to fill. The third match between the two that they've had, I believe, and the second one to be a tournament final. In the interim, Shingo got one up on Osprey in the G1 Climax in 2020. So, it's a match a year at this rate. All of them five stars or higher at this point by Dave Meltzer. So it's fair to say these two have chemistry. And I was saying to you before the match even happened that I wondered if this would be the middle chapter of a trilogy of tournament final matches between the two of them. That maybe the G1 Climax final of 2022 or 23 or so on and so on and so on could be once again between Osprey and Takagi. Not this year then. I doubt they do it in the same year. And I also don't think that Osprey or Takagi are yet, well, maybe Osprey are yet seen as viable Wrestle Kingdom headliners for the world title. I suppose. What this also was as well was the match to determine who would be the first challenger for the first title match for the new IWGP World Heavyweight Championship as well. Yes, and uh, the champion is at ringside on commentary, looking very chill offering moral support of some form or another to takagi at least in this match oh yeah he's pro takagi this is obviously the second week in a row that we've covered a will osprey match and i would be shocked if the match he has with the bushi on the 4th of april doesn't get the five star rating oh it's easter weekend yes because of that that means that if it does get that then we won't be discussing it until the um you wouldn't hear that episode until the 15th of april if it does happen so there'll be a one week gap in between whether that'll be filled in by a five star match or by uh certainly not a five star match we'd be discussing (laughs) but yes this is the second week in a row that we're discussing a will osprey match because last week 
we had his second round match. I erroneously declared it a quarterfinal match because this is a 30-man tournament. That wasn't the case against Zack Sabre Jr. And whilst that was a frenetically paced match, this one kind of goes in fits and starts. And also, I, we were saying how much the Osprey Sabre match felt like a heel versus heel match. Yeah. Except for a couple of moments, this didn't feel much like a face versus heel match. Weirdly, I think Will Ospreay was a lot less heelish in this match than he was in the Sabre match. Ospreay, Ospreay was. However, B Priestley, on the other hand. Well, she just has one little moment of interference. That's basically the only heelish moment between all of them, Ospreay and, and Priestley. Oh, well, no, hang on. She... she... Blocks him twice, she pulls his hair once, she moves the table. In terms of, like, direct interaction with Shingo... Okay. Yes, there's only one, but she's stirring the pot quite a lot in this match. And sometimes it's off her, off her own volition. Sometimes you can hear Osprey audibly tell her what to do and instruct her. But do you get where I'm coming from, though, that Will Ospreay is fighting through a lot in this match? Yeah. This is one of the things I never think tournaments do enough as a psychology of... The notion of accumulated bumps and bruises that have happened over the course of the tournaments. That Will Ospreay, over the time of this tournament, he went in with a bad shoulder that's just got progressively worse. And he also broke his nose in the Zack Sabre Jr. match. Which, at least Sonata didn't take any means to (laughs) leave him alone on that front. And Takagi really doesn't in this match. But Takagi himself is also coming in with... Uh, I believe the term is a smorgasbord of options Shingo's got to attack. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas Shingo himself does have a clear target on his back as well with the tape that's covered around him. Yeah. At the start, it's Osprey that has those sympathetic moments where Takagi ruthlessly goes after his nose and his shoulder and sends him to the outside. Does it quite heelishly himself in the corner with the mm. whole, like... Sort of raking up the nose. Yeah. Although, he's an ingobernable. Those are meant to be tweeners at best, I suppose, insofar as their morality. Yeah. When when Takagi's in the ring against an Okada or a Tanahashi, he is the aggressive, I guess, heel out of the two in that situation. But in this one, you'd think he'd be the close to a pure babyface, and that's not the way he goes. Will Ospreay then has to retaliate by going after his back and evening up the odds. And... It is your classic New Japan big main event. Is that a little bit of um, them trying to make Shingo seem like still the more heavyweight out of the two? Because Chris Carlton very early on obviously points out that the first few minutes of Osprey's offense are very super junior-esque. Yeah, he's going back to his junior days. The thread I was getting from that is maybe the story they're trying to tell is if on a pure power basis, despite obviously Osprey bulking up and bulking up and bulking up. Shingo is still more powerful. But it's the other things that Osprey can do and is willing to do that puts him above. Well, Osprey's never turned himself into a powerhouse where power is his focus. It's just that he has more strength. He's just bulked up. Yeah. That doesn't mean that he's now a power wrestler. He hasn't reinvented the wheel. But Takagi's always been a powerhouse because he's always had that squat frame. Yeah. Frame. Powerful frame. And that is hearkening back to their time in the Best of the Super Juniors. The, like you say, though, the funny thing is that Osprey can now incorporate power moves into his arsenal. And Takagi can go at a ridiculously fast pace. What I also like as well is that at this point they are wary of each other and they now have a history. They go into that Best of the Super Juniors match and it was the first collision between the two of them. 
and it was new. And at that point, Takagi was this seemingly invulnerable junior ace who had not been pinned or submitted in the, I think, eight, nine months that he'd been in the promotion at that point. And Osprey at, this, at that stage was this heroic, conquering, almost St. George-like figure. And yeah. they call back to that at the start of this match because... He called himself the Dragon Slayer at that point when Takagi was the dragon. And when he made his entrance, he was wielding a sword in the Best of the Super Junior final. And this time, it's Takagi that turns up with the sword. Because Osprey is seen as that step above him at this point. Osprey was spending Wrestle Kingdom in the, the semi-final to the main event, wrestling Kazuchika Okada. Whereas... Takagi was in the Never Open Weight match. and That's what... With Cobb, yes. Yes, of course. Yeah. How have I forgotten that? Jeez. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so he was fighting the underling of... It's like Ishii taking on Tanahashi or yeah. Naito or Ibushi. He might win, but you wouldn't necessarily... You'd, you'd weigh the favourites more towards Osprey. Whereas in that Best of the Super Juniors, I think Takagi at that point seemed like the unstoppable monster figure yeah. and so now that the tables have turned a little bit osprey has this whole world of expectations that he's got whereas takagi is more slowly working his way up to the point that he'd mm-hmm. like to be whereas osprey has had that shooting ascendancy over the past two years essentially the, the best of the super juniors match slowed down takagi's momentum really yeah you mentioned tables and um as frequent listeners to the show will know one of my least favorite stipulations in the world is a tables match but what i actually enjoyed here mainly because they didn't over egg the pudding is the table peril when the table was set up Mm. that it was like frantic fast paced i think the tables matches i've seen they just seem a bit panto-y with like the whole almost nearly oh oh but it was just one quick little thing didn't get too contrived or anything like that. It felt natural. It flowed. It's not what the entire match builds around, and so you don't have to tease it for ages and ages. You just know that it's going to be one key spot in the match. Yeah. That's become a frequent stalwart of New Japan main events, I suppose. I don't know, maybe I'm misremembering it, but it feels like ever since the, the six-star match at the Tokyo Dome where Kenny Omega went flying <laughs> so far to go through that table. And as we know, these Japanese tables do not have a give. No. We know that Osprey had to really... There's a reason he went for a 450 splash, because that might get you enough momentum in your weight to put enough through to break that table. Shooting star involves a bit more hang time, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 Whereas it's just about... It's about shifting weight as quickly as possible. You're falling much faster. And so that allowed... Looked vicious as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we are well ahead of ourselves there. But there's obvious callbacks, like I said, to the best of the Super Juniors match. Maybe also to the G1 match, but I don't have as vivid a memory of that. You know, G1s, you just get in this massive cluster of great singles matches, and they themselves will be in, like, eight, nine, ten of them. But they do... The starting part of a frantic exchange of moves and reversals that go at a crazy clip. And when they did it in the Best of the Super Juniors, it went on and on and on and on and on. But they seemed to put on the brakes earlier at this point. And it was almost like, yeah, we know we know where this is going to go. So let's save ourselves the expending of energy. Because this is a, maybe an even higher stakes than the... Maybe this is a higher stakes than the Juniors match. Yeah. And they had the body part targeting to sort of like lean on as a storytelling. Like, I say lean on. They didn't need shortcuts. and they didn't, It wasn't a shortcut, but 
you know, their table had been set from a storyline perspective. It's wrestled at a slower pace. And a much slower pace to the Zack Sabre Jr. match as well. Osprey doesn't attack at the bell. Where it looked like because he was so worried about how banged up he was, he just went straight after Zack to try and finish it early. But with this one, I guess maybe there is just that sense of, well, we're doing the main event and the rules are we've got to go 30 minutes, so let's stretch these moves. <laughs> also, running straight at Shingo. I mean, yeah, Zack will catch you in like a like submission hold, but just look at Zack's frame and look at Shingo's frame. It's less of a good idea on paper. Well, you'll just fall down. Yeah. After hitting an immovable object. Every time I see a Shingo match, he grows on me more and more. And I look at him like, yeah, this could be the one. This could be the one that's like doing a few Wrestle Kingdom main events in a row. I, could, I feel it. You think he's going to do Wrestle Kingdom? I could see him getting a heavyweight shot eventually. I just don't know that that's what their vision of him is. Because he is an outsider coming in in his late 30s. I think mm. they see him as the logical inheritor of the Ishii mantle. The guy that you can put with anyone and he'll have a great match and anyone could realistically lose to him and he can realistically beat them. Yeah. Getting a win over him looks good for them. I just think that's his limit, whereas Osprey's younger. They've invested more time and, and energy into him. He's a guy Jin, so obviously you've got that American market, you've got an English speaker again. Yeah, but wrestling in general's more internationalist anyway. I mean, yeah, you know, we just had a main event of a new Japan show with two British talents in there. So I don't know, but you got to think of marketability and stuff. And if you're trying to crack America, which New Japan has been trying to do, obviously has been hamstrung with global events recently, it helps if one of your top guys speaks the language. He speaks it like Will Ospreay speaks, so I'm not sure how many Americans will get that either. But I'll tell you what, though, I also don't think Shingo Takagi's going to be around for that much longer if he's going to continue to take back bumps onto the guardrail. Oh, yeah, that was gnarly. And I also like the fact it was done in front of Ibushi, so you can just tell, like, maybe, like, peer pressure subliminally is just going into Shingo's body now. From It's, from it's funny because the, Osprey was using his junior heavyweight moves and, and quickness suddenly to get back into the match after Takagi dominated at the start by targeting the nose and the shoulder. So he does his suplex stunner thing, uh, following up with the handspring flying kick. I'm sure he's got names for all these whole moves, but I can never remember them. But then at that point, then he becomes ruthless, nasty Will Ospreay that we saw in the Zack Sabre Jr. match. But less trying to get into his head. Because I guess maybe there's that sense that he has more respect for Takagi, whereas... Zack Sabre Jr. was that mouthy prick that was always trying to intimidate him and bully yeah. him. Whereas Takagi's a respected guy that he has one on and the other guy's got one on him. So it's a different dynamic. But again, I'm still surprised at how little Osprey played up his heelishness, especially when we were thinking about he's the one that's battling with Jay White for essentially the top heel role within the company. Mm. And if Jay White was in that final, there's no way he wouldn't have done loads of heelish moves throughout the match. Oh, yeah. But Osprey doesn't. I suppose you don't want to like be too much of a carbon copy, though. And who can do Jay, like, Jay White stuff better than Jay White at the minute? But it looked like he was being a carbon... Not a carbon copy, but he was being a heel. And it seems like New Japan is moving towards more that heel and face dynamic. In the match where he was against a heel... He was being a heel. Yeah. And he's not doing it so much in this match. He just doesn't talk that much. He just concentrates on the match itself. Do you know what it is? I I think he's selling fear in this match of Shingo. Well, he sells it very much at the end. Yeah. I think it's the little things. Like, he gets B to be more involved. 
he has Okan and Cobb at ringside. It's not really something they do as much anymore in New Japan that the faction teammates yeah. will be out with them, except for a manager, a side. When Suzuki Goon come out for a while, Zack Saber Junior. would go out with Takamichi Noku, and Minoru Suzuki would go out with El Desperado. But neither of them really do that anymore. None of Los Ingobernables go out with each other. Well, they're like they're a group of loners by nature, aren't they? Like yeah, yeah. Naito loner, Hiromu weird loner, Takagi dragon. So you don't want to get too close to a dragon. Yeah, I, I think it's those things. I think it's more he's like this guy could hurt me. He's never going to admit it. He's never going to admit that this guy like. But he, as you say, he's one and one with him. He's a problem. <laughs> He goes past his old junior heavyweight star that he used at the start to get into the match. Then when it, he's got the back hurt, then he's going for the backbreaker. He whips him hard into the corner. And then he brings him literally into a takedown body scissors hold. I mean, that's something you'd never see Osprey do in a juniors match a couple of years ago. Mm. So he's, he's clearly, the, what we're seeing is the, the continuing evolution of the Osprey character. Yeah. So I don't think he's necessarily found his full position yet at this point so maybe this is him trying something else out how do you take a guy whose whole thing is how flashy his moveset is that he will get a crowd popping and how do you do that with him as a heel if you're going to keep most of that moveset and you can have flashy moves and be a heel AJ Styles is a great example of that oh I mean well yeah Shawn Michaels was a great example of that I mean Rollins Rollins yes is a very good example is a Phoenix Splash in that Triple Threat Rumble match where he was like the most he- the heelish guy, most heelish guy in there. I think what you have to do is put it with an arrogance. You see someone like Cristiano Ronaldo with the ball, and you would gawp at it, but you know he's an arrogant prick that thinks he's he's every bit as good as he is. Mm. There's no sense of a humility, which is why people like Lionel Messi, whether or not it's true or not, they perceive Messi to be a more humble person. So I think that's what you've got to do with Osprey. You've got to. It has something to do with like physical stature as well. So like, say if Osprey was a heel now but hadn't bulked up, would it have the same effect? Because his stature is more imposing. If he hadn't bulked up, he wouldn't have been in the heavyweight division. So he would have been more imposing as far as he would have been taller than nearly anyone else in the junior division. But you get where I'm coming from, though, because he's filled out more. Way a certain way bigger people carry themselves on a, on a subliminal level, or how that's perceived by people subliminally. Smaller people aren't as threatening. That's just. That's just science. But Osprey is unleashing all the fancy moves. He does like a Spanish fly. He does several Spanish flies. He does one off the top rope. He does another one to escape the pumping bomber. Turns it into... That's a, that is a cool segment. Oh, it's incredible the moves that he's doing. You, you, you marvel at the physical abilities of this man. I'm sounding really down on this match. And I'm not really down on it, but I'm definitely not... I mean, I'll give it away now. I'm not five stars... Certainly not five and a half stars. Yeah. I felt like this match, more than anything... I think because it was a spectacle of more high spots, it felt like it needed a more loud crowd. I think because one of the reasons I found the Zack Sabre Jr. match more entertaining than this was it did it all in two-thirds of the time. Yeah. And I was getting the banter, and I was getting the characters, and there was a lot of character work. I felt like this match didn't have as much interesting character work. It had some. I think the great moment when... He's going for a powerbomb. Takagi blocks it, deadweights himself. When you think Takagi's pretty much out because this is after he's been 450 splashed and everything. Yeah. Osprey hits him with some kawadi kicks. And then Takagi really turns into an Ibushi tribute act at that point when he goes zombie-like and he's backing Will Osprey into the corner. 
<laughs> just be him harder and you can just think will like i'm trying <laughs> That was one of my favourite heckle rebuttals in wrestling ever was Spanky was in a match in Ring of Honor. I think it was against Alex Shelley or CM Punk. I think it was Shelley. And there's just a lull where they're circling each other pretty early on into the match. And someone yelled out, kick his ass, Spanky. And Spanky said, I'm trying, asshole. <laughs> you wouldn't have got it with this crowd, but I get what you're saying. Like If the crowd weren't as caged as they are, obviously with the restrictions that they're under. Maybe we'd have had a bit more, like, emotive flow at the start. Where, where I came from in terms of how I felt about the match is only when it went through the gears that it really hooked me. I appreciate from a technical standpoint what happened at the start and how they told the story they're telling. But it just didn't have that spice, that zing, that little bite. Yeah. Purpose. I felt that way a lot about like the first act of the first Avengers film. It was getting the team together, but it wasn't entertaining me in any way. And it wasn't until the team got together. But you can make that more entertaining. That's why I think Infinity Wars is a better film now in hindsight, looking back on it. Yeah. I didn't at the time, but Infinity Wars really grown in my opinion of it over time. Because all of the setup to the chaos of the final hour or so was enriching and entertaining because of so much character stuff yeah and seeing these cat well-defined characters interacting even bouncing off of each other and i didn't f i think takagi and, and osprey are two very well-defined characters but i didn't feel like they were doing enough bouncing off of each other especially after i've seen J will osprey do it so well against zack saber jr and i've seen takagi do it so well against someone like jeff cobb or hiroshi tanahashi weirdly even though they have amazing physical chemistry to the point that when there genuinely seems to be like a half step off at one moment where Osprey goes for it. I made a note about it. Takagi landed off of a powerbomb attempt that he escaped, landed on his feet. And it seemed like it took him a split second more to get into the right place to stand up in time for an Osprey clothesline. Yeah. And just that one half a second off, you felt like it, it was almost like a drummer going off, off the timing slightly in the song and it just everything going a little bit wrong for that split second. And only if you're really attuned to the rhythms of timing and everything, you'd even notice it. But we're, I guess we're studying it more forensically, maybe. Mm. We've just watched enough of these guys' matches to notice it more. And so it's like, you know, it's not Luchasaurus and whoever that other guy was just suddenly standing in the ring at one <laughs> point. Yeah. But to those two, it's the equivalence of that because they're of that higher standing as performers. And so it's a spectacle of amazing moves, but I felt like I needed more character okay. stuff from both of them. We had it, but we could have had... I wanted more moments like Takagi suddenly no-selling and Osprey being so terrified that even though he's the one that's kicking and booting at Takagi, somehow he's the one that's suddenly in the corner and Takagi, who hasn't hit him, has him where he wants yeah. him and then just starts unleashing elbows and clothes. Absolutely on him. bodies him at that point. But I think I wanted more of that in that first half of the match, which is what, which was what we got with Zack Sabre Jr. match, and which is what we got with the Tanahashi match, and what we got with the Jeff Cobb match. We didn't get it in this match, I felt. And so that's why we got into that, that very common criticism of New Japan epic main event matches, is that the first half of the match is almost disposable, doesn't really do anything. And the reason people love all these matches is because the finish is spectacular, but if the start's not good, then it's not a complete and perfect job. And that's how we're probably going to get the Tories getting loads of seats in recent elections. 
Right, I see. I, I see why. I see why you were going. Now you've got there. I see where you were going. <laughs> I didn't know I was going there until towards the end. Right, much like the government. <laughs> what I was gonna say. Do you think this match suffers from having that Zack Saber match junior match so close to it? Yeah, that doesn't help having a match that I really, really loved the week before it. It was a different thing to the the usual New Japan main event match, and this was a lot more like that. This was that that epic New Japan main event. And I guess maybe just... I felt it when we were getting up to speed with the five stars, certainly. You get New Japan burnout sometimes. Yeah. Maybe that's where we are right now. And also the fact that this match does leave a bad taste in the mouth just in general because of what happened afterwards. And we won't go into that because I honestly, I didn't watch the whole thing after this. I'd seen that clip, but I haven't watched the whole thing and I don't really want to talk about it. Fair enough. There's enough places to talk about it. It was incredibly, incredibly ill thought out. Let's put it that way. Mm. But what wasn't ill thought out for the most part was the finishing sequence of this match. Even if it did involve a reverse Rana. Oh, when I see them now. In matches we're covering, it just warms the cockles of my heart to see a poison Rana. I'm not vain enough to think I have any kind of imprint in the culture like someone like Botchamania has. But I, if I ever did have one thing that became a trademark that maybe people didn't even know was from me, like how John Cena became the Five Moves of Doom guy, and the whole Five Moves of Doom, as far as I can tell, originated either with Scott Keith or someone that Scott Keith read. And then it just, you know, goes so far back it becomes something different. It's the only thing I would kind of want this thing to become a a thing, a meme, would be someone hitting that and either the commentator or someone in the crowd just yelling out, a reverse Rana! <laughs> That'd be like, I've made it then. Yeah, I guess. I, I've made an impact. You know, there's so many things from Botchmania, but particularly, I guess, I am the table! I think BT Sport referenced that recently. I thought Takagi... Did do some really good stuff getting the crowd on his on his side towards the end after he takes the 450 splash. And Osprey wants the count out win. And literally he's slapping himself to get back up. And then he's willing himself in front of Ibushi. And then wipes himself with Ibushi's towel. <laughs> and slaps Ibushi on the shoulder before getting in on the 19 count. And again, another thing I love when they do this as well is that the other guy has seen that he's coming in. And has a plan for them. Stamps on him straight away. Well, he just drop kicks him. He comes in with a drop kick to the side. He doesn't just sit there on his knees looking shocked for the camera to get a close-up on him. <laughs> He's just getting on with trying to win the match, which he does do, eventually. With Hidden Blade. Turns a pumping bomber into a Spanish fly mid-move, which is so... I mean, what these guys can do is incredible. And then it's just a sequence of a high kick, roaring elbow, Chelsea grin... Hidden Blade, Stormbreaker, 1, 2, 3 at the 30 minute and 6 second point. I, I I don't want to be too harsh on this match. I still think it's really good. I'd probably give it like... I was originally going to say 4.5, but then I was saying I did really kind of go 4.5, 4 and 3 quarters for the Osprey Sabre match. So I think if that's 4 and 3 quarters, which is what I'll set with for that, then I would give this match 4 and a quarter. That would probably be where I'd stand. Yeah, I, I couldn't pin you to a precise figure. But I can tell you that precise figure isn't five or above. Again, it was just the start that's just a bit... I don't want to say tighter because it wasn't tightness that was lacking. It was just... No. The, the X factor, that little spark, that little little bit of zing was just missing. I guess maybe because they're teasing that it's all going to be about the limb work and then really the limb work doesn't factor into it much at all. There's only a few moments where 
Takagi hits him with something that would affect Osprey's nose, so Osprey will sell the nose. But outside of the squishing his face at the start, Takagi's not he's not zeroing in on it like like again Sab- like Saber does. Zack Saber's always going for the shoulder. Tanahashi will always make sure that his guy his matches have a clear strategy that's factored from the start to the fit, or or at least at the moment that he's able to incorporate it, or he sees that it's working, then that's going to be the main thrust of the match going forward. It didn't have that in this match. It had incredible moves, and it was a great match. Well, if you give it a match above four stars, if you really care about all these things, then you think it's a great match, at least on a technical level. But no, I mean, I don't see five stars. I definitely don't see five and a half stars, but I don't see five and a half stars in anything. Hmm, yeah. Yeah, do you have anything to add about the match? Not really. Just obviously, you're right that Abushi versus Osprey should be good. I think people will be uh, tuned in for that. Definitely. They'll be keen to make it be good, given the importance of it insofar as it being the first match of a new championship. Mm-hmm. In theory, anyway. The belt design will have been shown by the time this has come out, but not at the time we've recorded. That's It's a high-pressure situation. But what is not a high-pressure situation is feeling you need to get in touch with either of us. But if you want to do so, Simon, how can they do so? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm sending Simon Cross free. Free for the extra members of the United Empire that were ringside for this match. My name's Lorcan Mullen, that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A-N. If you flip around the first two letters in nasal, that's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd. If you put an at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. lmtyspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. And if you want to throw a few pennies our way to appreciate the gold standard of commentary that we provide the world of wrestling then by all means, either give us five stars on iTunes for imaginary kudos, or give us actual cash <laughs> kudos by going to our patreon.com slash lmtyspod. Simon, do you remember what our match of the week is if we don't get a five-star match in between now and next week's episode? No. Every time. It is LAX versus Team 3D. Oh, yes. I, I just wanted to hear you say it more than anything in the electrified steel cage match. We should point out as well, actually, that when we recorded that episode, it was even before we knew, this is how long ago we recorded it, is before we even knew that an exploding barbed wire death match was going to happen. Could say uh, we're just a little bit on trend, a little bit in sync with how wrestling thinks. Or we shouldn't be so lazy as to try and backlog record our stuff and keep it current. That's another way of interpreting it. All right, Mr. Free Podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, there's nothing left to say at this point, except that I am best of worst of British and 21st films, Lorcan Mullen, and he is mid-table crisis. Oh, <laughs> you're determined, aren't you? Simon Cross. <laughs> Thank you for learning us tell you something. Have a five and a half star time. Until the next time. Thank you.